you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking, socially distancing when and where necessary. Joined, as always, by Michael F. Florio and producer Steve. And uh, Florio, we're just a couple days away from the Super Bowl. Uh, I will wait till the end of the show to get your predictions on it. But, um, I mean, is the excitement building? I mean, I know you're sort of, you know, I'm sure still disappointed about the Bills, but in terms of this game, are you starting to get excited about it? How are you feeling? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I was excited about the Bills, um, but for what it's worth, like my everyone, not just me, but my preseason pick was the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. I am a big Patrick Mahomes fan, so going against him and just feeling helpless trying to <laughs> watch my team try to stop him was uh, was an interesting experience, but I am... Yeah, this second week, like the first week after it, I was like, all right, you know, like I was a little disappointed the Bills didn't make it now. But now this second week right before the Super Bowl, I'm the anticipation is building and I'm really looking forward to it. I think could be a classic Super Bowl. If there's any sort of consolation for you, um, having worked at the NFL for a while now, the one thing I do know is... The worst thing about working at the NFL is when your team loses in the Super Bowl because the NFL Network just replays the game like every day for a week. And now I've, I've experienced that twice, right? Since I've been there, the 49ers have been to and lost two Super Bowls. They lost that one to the, the Ravens where the lights went out in the Superdome. Uh, and then obviously last year losing to the Chiefs. Uh, and it is the worst to have to go back to work the week after the Super Bowl. And it is, all, you know, I mean, you know what it's like, especially when you're sitting in the newsroom or whatever. And like everybody has a TV on their desk and their TVs all over the walls and they're all showing NFL Network. And it's like you can't really hide from it. And it's just a week of watching your team lose the same game over and over and over and again. And when people know that it's your team, they try to like cons- like, like console <laughs> you a little bit. Right. And it just it, it doesn't work. It, it's, it almost makes it worse. It is. It is. It's like everybody, it's like, you know, it's like you lost a pet or something. Everybody's trying to like be nice or whatever. And you're like, thanks. Uh, you know, you just, you would really just prefer, like, I don't mind being at work, but I would just prefer that everybody turn their TVs off or at least turn it on a different channel or something like that. So I don't have to watch it. Was there one of the two that, that hurt you more than the other or were they kind of equal? Um, I would say the Ravens one, just cause I felt like they had a better chance. Um, you know, la- last year, I went into the into the Super Bowl feeling like they were playing with house money. Um, you know, they had been three and thirteen the year before. So, um, I mean, I, I went into to, to last year thinking that you know what, if the Niners are five hundred, that's a great year. Uh, so then for them to you know, win the NFC West, get all the way to the Super Bowl, um, you know, I was disappointed, but it didn't hurt as much. The Ravens one, I felt like they've got a legit shot at this thing. Uh, and then I guess what made it even worse is that they fell behind, they came back. Uh, you know, after the lights went out and they got within one, you know, really poor decision to keep throwing fades to Michael Crabtree in the corner of the end zone um, 
from you know the thing about that that burns me and this was not what i meant to, to get into in the show but whatever <laughs> um there was a play in that goal line sequence where colin kaepernick kept it on a bootleg and was going to walk untouched into the end zone but Jim Harbaugh called the timeout just before the snap, and the play didn't oh, count. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then they tried throwing fades to Michael Crabtree, and we know how that turned out. So, so the, that one last year's, I agree. I, I think I agree with you a little. Like it's easy because Marcus, we're we are two people now who have been personally victimized by Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> like Regina George, kind of. But come come the end of his career, that list is going to be bigger than a whole auditorium full of people who. Who could say that about Patrick Mahomes? Man, uh, like Regina George. I was just thinking, so like, <laughs> on, on Tuesdays, we talk about Patrick Mahomes. That's uh, that's that's what happens here. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, before we actually get into it, because we're going to talk some running backs on this show. First of all, if you haven't been watching our stuff on YouTube, you should go check it out. Subscribe at YouTube.com slash NFL Fantasy Football. Uh, we have clips from this show. We have just random VOD stuff that we're doing all offseason long. So a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and it's not just me and Florio. Adam Rank shows up there. Kimmy checks, all kind of stuff. So go, go check that out if you can. Um, the other thing that I came across uh, as I was sort of, you know, putting together notes for this show, uh, some quotes from LaShawn McCoy, who, you know, is at the very much the end of his career. It's been a very successful career. Uh, you know, a lot of success he had in, in Philly and Buffalo. Uh, and... The quote was basically about him saying that he very well could retire at the end of this. And he said, yeah, you know, if I get my second title with my resume, you know, I feel like that's good enough and I can hang it up. And my first thought was, second title? When did he get a first one? And I remembered <laughs> that he was on the Chiefs roster last year. Um, you know, I, I had completely blacked that out, Florio, because, like, you know, he showed up there and by the end of the year he was barely playing um, I don't even remember if he played at all in the Super Bowl. If he did, it was literally just a handful of snaps. Um, so so if, I actually checked. He was inactive for the Super Bowl. Okay, right. So he didn't even play <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Um, but he was on the roster, and he does get a ring. I mean, he played during the season. Uh, it is funny. So he's he is sort of he sort of did last year kind of what Le'Veon Bell is doing this year a little bit. Lev's playing more, but he's definitely not the focal point of the offense. But it did make me think about, like, players out there uh, that you forgot have a ring. Um, and so I was kind of looking some up. First off, there are a couple of former Buffalo Bills that are out there. Uh, Percy, Harvin really? is, Percy Harvin is one. Uh, I forgot he got a championship with the Seahawks. Um, when they blew out the Broncos, he was he was on that team. In fact, I think he had he, a kickoff he had return. Kick re yeah, he was actually a big part of that, I guess you could... Yeah, or a I, part of it more than LaShawn McCoy. So here's the thing about that that play. That was I was that year at a Super Bowl party that was sort of dull. Um, I was not really enjoying it so much, um, and yeah, the game was a blowout. And that was sort of my cue to be like, "Hey, so I think I'm going to take off now." <laughs> Um, were, were we at the same party? Because I had a very similar experience. That like the game was boring. I was just sitting there, like I can't even get into the game right now. Yeah, I think we were at the same party. So yeah, that was my cue to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna head on out now. Uh, the other former Bill that has a ring that I had forgotten about is Tyrod Taylor, um, who was a backup on that Ravens team that beat the 49ers uh, in the, in the Superdome. He was the backup to Joe Flacco. I mean, everybody remembers Flacco had that amazing uh, postseason run all throughout the playoffs, had a very good Super Bowl, uh, turned that into a big contract right afterwards. But Tyrod was his backup, and I had completely forgotten that, that Tyrod Taylor has a Super Bowl ring. That yeah, I, when you said it, I was like, for with who? And then I remember, oh, yeah, he was on the Ravens for a he little bit. He was on the Ravens, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny because I had completely forgotten that LaShawn McCoy won a title with the Chiefs. It was just a year ago. Uh, if, when it happened, McCoy bragging like if they win this this Sunday and he brags about having two rings, like is he going to be active this Sunday? Like I hope not, and I hope he gets two rings as an inactive player. That'd be like you, you see my hat. I'm a Mets fan. It, it'd be like <laughs> if if the Mets win this year, Bobby Bonilla bragging about getting a ring or something I mean, like that. Like, he's still on the payroll, right? So, Lashawn, <laughs> I mean, you had a great career, but maybe don't brag about that that ring. What's going to be funny is. You know, it, it, when he is up, when he's eligible for the Hall of Fame, if he does have two rings, are people going to be like, hey, 
he's got two championships. Like, is that going to factor into the argument for him possibly getting into a Hall of Fame? I hope I not. Hope- yeah, his resume, like he said, with his resume, I think his resume in modern football kind of speaks for itself. Like, he had a 10-year stretch of being one of the top players at his position. I think mm-hmm. he should get in. I do not think the Super Bowls are needed or, or should at all help him. I don't think so either, uh, especially because, again, he, he will have played little to no role in either <laughs> of these games. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. It is, you know, because obviously rings nowadays factors into every conversation. It's, you know, the driving force behind, uh, Eli Manning, you know, possibly getting into the hall of fame. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, if, if LaShawn McCoy gets two rings, uh, I'm going to put a huge asterisk next to those because he really was not a factor in either one of them. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, real, like, Le'Veon Bell is definitely, like, the pointing Spider-Man gif of this year's oh, LaShawn yeah. McCoy. But did you hear his quote from this week that he signed with the Chiefs because he knew he wasn't <laughs> going to get a big workload? Yes, I saw that. Like, uh, like he is yeah. done as a fantasy asset now, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, he said he thought about going to Miami or Miami was interested. And he basically knew that Miami was going to give him the ball more. Uh, and he really wasn't about that life. So, um, <laughs> you know what, though? I, I look... From a competitive standpoint, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people read that and were like, "What?" Um, but like from a just a truthiness standpoint, I'm like, eh, "I get it." <laughs> you know, like, I, he could collect his money. He doesn't have to put any more wear and tear in his body. He could win a ring. Could I get ring. it all. Yeah. But for fantasy, I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah, not like um, if he signs somewhere, I'm I'm not getting signed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I did see that, and I was like, huh. All right, points to you for honesty. Uh, but all right, so much for that. Uh, all right, so on, on Tuesday we talked about uh, quarterbacks. Oh, by the way, I should mention that uh, we are taking next week off too. Uh, uh, Roger Goodell saw it fit in his heart to kind of give the company a week off after the Super Bowl uh, as a general kudos for, uh, for everything that happened this year, for making it through the season. So... Uh, you know what? When Uncle Roger asks, I oblige. So uh, next week we're going to go dark, uh, and we'll be back with you a week from Tuesday. Uh, back with you then again. So we'll, we'll continue this series then. But I did want to keep going with the running backs after talking about quarterbacks uh, on Tuesday. And so let's just kind of start here where we started with the quarterbacks. Your biggest hit, the, the person that you you know you thought was going to do well this season that ended up actually doing well this season. It should be of no surprise, Marcus, but for me, the biggest hit at the running back position was Jonathan Taylor. I know that it didn't start out as great as we wanted, and it took a little bit, but I, coming into the year, was like, hey, I I will use a third-round pick on this guy. I think he can be this year's Miles Sanders and break out in the second half and really lead a lot of people to fantasy championships, and I doubled down mid-year after their bye being like, go out and get this guy, and then it didn't happen after that week, and I looked kind of silly, but... He then really caught fire, and they gave him the opportunity. Uh, and he, I think, came through and won a lot of people championships. And besides him, uh, DeAndre Swift is another one that that I was pretty high on, and I think he came through. And am I allowed to say Austin Eckler? Because sure. I I debated with people all summer long about him, and I understand he got hurt and missed a large chunk of the season. But when he was healthy, he showed to everyone that he is an RB1, that he can handle 20 touches a week. And I, I think besides, yeah, the, the injury, it, it stunk. But besides that, he really showcased and showed everyone he's an RB1 in this league. You know, I, I I like that. I mean, I I was definitely on the side of Austin Eckler. I thought he was going to be good. Um, you know, it would have been nice to see what could have happened with a full sixteen games, and hopefully we get that next year. But but he was, I thought, pretty good all year. Uh, I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook, and I know that seems sort of obvious, but I'm I'm saying it in the context of what happened generally to the top five running backs this year. Um, you know, like and. Look, this is not a not injuries happen, right? And so this isn't you know trying to to denigrate Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or anybody like that. But the fact is, Dalvin Cook mostly stayed healthy, uh, and then lived up to expectations and then some, and had a fantastic season. And so uh, you know, if you went out and spent an early pick on Dalvin Cook, you were pretty happy with what happened there. Um, you know, I mean, really between he and Alvin Kamara were the, the guys that, that came off the board in the top five or six that sort of lived up to those expectations. So, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook was one. I, I remember this time last season, 
I was sort of putting him into the conversation of being the number one overall pick, mostly for the sake of, of argument and just trying to stir up conversation. Um, but, you know, he sort of proved that he at least would have been a worthy candidate with, uh, with the way he performed and, and, and the way he produced at the end of the year. So he was one I have there. My other one um, is Ronald Jones because, you know, that was – that was one of the big off-season Twitter wars we had was, you know, would you draft him? Can he be good? And, yeah, he had some injury issues, and, yes, he did have to split time with Leonard Fournette, but he finished the year in the top 20, um, and, and that was always sort of my argument. I, I never pretended that Rojo was going to be an RB1. I really thought he could be a good RB2 for you, and when he was healthy, that's kind of what he was, and I think he really established himself as – uh, again, the lead back there in Tampa, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what happens, say, with Leonard Fournette or anybody else or, or Keyshawn Vaughn, um, you know, back there in that backfield. But I think Jones proved that he can be a productive guy. And, look, if you were looking for an RB2 in sort of the middle rounds, um, I think he can be – although I think maybe the, the draft price goes up for him next year just because people have seen what he can do, maybe – um, you know, maybe instead of drafting him in the you know the eighth round, you might have to reach to the uh, what fifth, sixth round next year. I don't know. Does that that seem too high for him next year? No, I, I think that seems appropriate. And Marcus, he was one of my misses because I was on the other side of that argument, <laughs> saying that everything Bruce Arians has done has shown that he doesn't trust Ronald Jones. And I thought like bringing in Fournette was clear of that and drafting Keyshawn Vaughn, but. None of it really seemed to matter because when Ronald Jones was healthy, he was the lead back for this team. And he showed his explosiveness, which is what so much of us were kind of hoping when he came out of college. Like, that's what we saw at the college level, like how explosive he is, how he can break these long runs so often. And then it didn't really translate until this year, but he showed us that he is an explosive runner. And I will take that. I, I was wrong. I'll hold that L. And I think that next year... He should be a RB2 in, like, the, the fifth or sixth round. I think that is an appropriate range for him. Yeah, I look, I it, it'll be interesting to see sort of how people value him because I, I kept saying last year he was that guy that whatever you believed about him coming into the year, like, you know, you were going to hold on to that belief all the way through draft season. So the people who liked him uh, were making a case for him and really, you know, trying to, to, to cape for him. People who didn't were, you know, they were sort of letting him slide in drafts and they were going to let somebody else take him. So, uh, you know, he was one of those Rorschach guys. And I'm curious to see who's going to be, you know, who, who's going to be on that list next year. Uh, but he was definitely one this year. I, I would say my biggest miss was probably Kenyon Drake. Um, yeah, I, he was one for me, too. I, I, I really thought he was going to be great after the way he finished the 2019 season in, in Phoenix and in Arizona. Um, I, I was expecting big things. I thought for sure, easily top 10, you know, maybe top eight, I thought was, was, uh, an easy do for him. And it started bad. It got better sort of near the end, but I also felt like by the midpoint of the season, the Cardinals were kind of, they felt comfortable going with two running backs, you know, so we saw Kenyon Drake get in there, but. Um, but Chase Edmonds was also getting some work there for the Cardinals as well. And so maybe that helped a little bit. I also, you know, I also remember reading that Drake said he sort of picked up his game after his mom told him he wasn't playing well. So <laughs> maybe if we can That's get harsh. moms to talk to him in July, uh, you know, instead of, you know, September, October, maybe that'll be better. But I, I think um, the high point miss. In rostering Kenyon Drake came right before the season when he tweeted, like, I'm going to win everyone a fantasy championship. I, as someone who had a lot of Kenyon Drake, I was hyped up. And I was like, all right, he knows stuff about this offense that we don't. He's clearly going to be a huge part of it. And it was all downhill from there. Uh, one more big miss for me yeah. was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he's going to be a player similar to Ronald Jones this uh, next year, where I think if you really liked CEH coming in to the NFL draft and into fantasy drafts last year, you're going to probably be like, all right, yeah, let's give him another chance. Last year was a weird year for rookies, blah, blah, blah. But if you didn't love CEH or you thought he was being overvalued or, or whatever, you can easily point to this year and be like, look, Daryl Williams was really productive when he was out and they brought in Bell and all these. So I think that... He was a big miss, especially because I elevated him to a mid-first-round pick in my rankings. And right behind Dalvin Cook, in my biggest league, Marcus, I was debating Dalvin Cook or CEH. <laughs> and I almost went CEH. So 
I think he was a big miss for me. And then some other names that just quickly came to mind were mm-hmm. Zeke, but I think everyone got Zeke wrong. And then, like, Lev Bell, Mark Ingram, people were drafting them as RB2s. And I think the lesson there is don't trust these older running backs anymore. That is a big thing. And, you know, I know people, there are some people who really put a lot of value on age, especially at the running back position. Um, I, you know, I don't know that I have stake they claim one side or another, but certainly this was not a year for some of those older running backs. Um, and Lev Bell, obviously Lev saying he went to Kansas City because there would be less of a work. You know, things that should have been brought to my attention yesterday. Um, <laughs> right? Like, if we had known that, I think we definitely would have uh, you know, thought twice about where we were drafting Le'Veon Bell or if we were drafting him at all. There were... I, I was... Very much so off of Le'Veon Bell this year, but there were, like, I was debating people in the summer because there was a lot of people being like, he's still Le'Veon Bell, like, don't hold last year against him, it was Adam Gase. I think we've seen enough now in two years as as a Jet and a half year as a Chief that the the days of elite Le'Veon Bell are long behind us. I thought maybe he had something left, but but I am, I'm I'm off that now. Uh, It was was hard to watch him with the Chiefs because... He has that, you know, they call patience, right? Where he just kind of waits and waits and waits for a hole to open up. But then when the holes did open up, that burst was gone. I mean, he just, he looked slow this past year. And so it's one thing to be patient and then be able to hit the hole and go. It's another thing to be patient and then the hole opens up and you're sort of plodding through it because those holes don't last long. And and we saw that from Lev this year. And and you're right. The one area Lev Bell is still good is in Madden. (laughs) Because <laughs> I've been playing more lately, and like 80% of the people you play online pick the Chiefs, and he's the running back that they always use, so I guess he's the highest rated? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, let's, <laughs> I'll have to talk, to talk to our friends over at EA and be like, hey, maybe, maybe time to downgrade Lev, because uh, he's just not that guy anymore. Um, obviously, one of the big things we always talk about during draft season is zero RB. Uh, whether or not it's good. Uh, again, this is one of those things that I feel like everybody has sort of claimed a side on it, right? If you are a proponent of it, um, you know, this is what you're going to do more often than not. If you don't love it, then you're probably not going to, to change your mind about it. Um, in the end, now that we can look back and have the benefit of hindsight, did this end up being a good zero RB year for people who chose that draft strategy? See, for me, my take after the year was no, because I was like, outside of James Robinson, who, unless you you've had a feeling about him after week one, you probably missed out on him, where was there like a breakout great running back off the waiver wire? It just didn't happen this year. And then someone on Twitter, uh, Davis Maddock, another fantasy analyst, tweeted me, and he was like, it was actually a really good year um, because there was... You know, like two weeks of like a, a Savan Ahmed and then a couple of weeks of Mike Davis and a couple of weeks of Wayne Gallman. And like you could keep riding the waiver wire and filling in the position. And and I was thinking like not everyone. First of all, if you're in a league with like Fab or anything like that, good luck because you're going to blow it all <laughs> by by week five trying to keep your running backs filled in. But also like that is a lot of work and a lot of commitment and a lot of risk to just trying to find the, the hot waiver wire hand each week because you're going to be wrong some weeks and it's going to cost you. So I do think it is one of those things that you could make it a good or a bad argument. But for me, I want the security at the running back position where I know each week I have a, a player, especially as my RB1, that is going to get you know somewhere around 20 touches each week. I don't think any of those waiver wire guys were able to give you that. So for me, I don't think it was a good year. I just, I, I'm sort of with you on that because I'm looking at the guys that, you know, even in the top 20, right? These are guys that were generally drafted. I mean, you have, as you mentioned, you got James Robinson, who people probably picked up after the first week. Um, you know, you, you got Mike Davis, who finished pretty high. But again, chances are that guy, you know, the person in your league who had Mike Davis was probably somebody who had Christian McCaffrey. And you know, we also kept waiting for CMC to sort of come back week after week. And that sort of that, that little saga kind of dragged on a little bit. Um, but beyond that, what I'm looking at J.D. McKissick, maybe Naheem Hines. I mean, but even then, um, those are sort of tough plays. Uh, and, and I think to your point about trying to ride the waiver wire, uh, either you were blowing your fab budget uh, early on. Uh, or just look, even if you, you know, do a, a more traditional waiver wire setup, 
you don't necessarily have the priority every week to go out and get one of these guys. Uh, if you did land one, you know, did you did you play them at the right time? Did you hold on to them too long? Um, There's a lot of things there that I think sort of made it made it kind of tricky. But again, I think I don't know that we're ever going to change minds, right? If you love zero RB and you are a a disciple of that, you probably did find a way to make it work to your benefit, and you probably willing to put in the work week to week to go out and play the waivers to do that. Um, but if you weren't, then, you know, you probably had a lot of weeks where, I don't know, who were you starting at running back? You were you were probably trying to plug in Zach Moss or Frank Gore or something. In the Fantasy Live League, I lost Saquon Barkley, and then for a large stretch of the season, I did not have Chris Carson. And I was very active on the waiver wire every single week, and filling the running back position was a nightmare that I, I would not want to do again. I had weeks where I was starting LaMichael Pirine, Frank Gore. <laughs> like, like there, there were some times where it hit, and you would find a hot— like, I had Wayne Gallman, and, and that was fun for, you know, like a few weeks. But there was a lot of misses, too, and I think the zero when you're making the case for zero RB, you're going to focus on those hits. There was a lot of misses that came with it, too. So when I was thinking about this last night, too, it the next thing I thought about was we talk about depth at positions. And, you know, we always just sort of reflexively say, hey, running back is deep. And thinking about this made me think, OK, is running back actually deep or are there just a lot of them, too? Keeping in mind that in most leagues, you have to start at least two. You have the option, I guess, to start a third, maybe, if, if you want to start one at your flex position. So in a 12-team league... That depletes the number of running backs really quick. And I, and I would dare say that after you get past, I don't know, the running back 12, 13, um, there's a pretty good drop-off in terms of week-to-week consistency. So it just makes me wonder, are, it makes me feel like the position isn't as deep as we say it is. There just happens to be a lot of running backs because teams use so many running backs. And maybe that should change the way we think about the position uh, maybe that changes. The, I don't know if that makes you more of a zero RB proponent or less of one, but I just feel like that's a thing we sort of have to revisit when we get into draft season next year. It it's changed. Like last summer, I completely changed my approach because I used to be like, oh, I, maybe I can grab a running back and one that I like falls like, you know, first or second round. But I was not afraid of just starting wide receiver, wide receiver, or at least having one wide receiver in my first two picks. And then last year, like looking at drafts early in the summer, I was like, from rounds three on, wide receiver has not only more depth, but they're just so much better than all the available running backs. So I routinely last year was starting drafts with two, maybe even three running backs. It doesn't always work out because of injuries or whatever, but I never felt weak at wide receiver, especially throughout the year, because they hit on the waiver wire a lot. They, they To me, at least, there's a lot more options on the waiver wire than running back, and at least that you can trust. And so to me, I, I changed my approach to do the opposite because I, I felt the same as you, Marcus, like 13, maybe if that running back. So I want to have one, eight, maybe two, if possible, of those guys. And then I'll just start getting receivers because I think there's I, I was working on my top 12 wide receivers yesterday. And from like 12 to like 25, I think are all kind of interchangeable <laughs> and you can make a case for different players. And that being the case. I'll wait and grab two of those in like three and four and have two running backs early on that I know I can trust. I just think, you know, I, I think that's the difference between running back and wide receiver. There there are a lot of players at both positions, but I do think there is more legitimate depth at wide receiver than there is at running back. Because as you talk about, you, I, I felt like last year, the fourth round was maybe the hardest place to draft because there were so many good wide receivers still available in that fourth round. And maybe it was you know, easier because there were so many. You could get a guy and feel like, all right, I got a pretty good player here. Um, but there were just so many choices. Like there was almost paralysis by analysis because of that. <laughs> um, you, you talked about the injuries at the top, and that was definitely a big story all year long. Uh, look, as somebody who had Christian McCaffrey in a couple of leagues, uh, I had Saquon Barkley uh, in a dynasty startup this year. Um, you know, you mentioned Zeke just kind of underperforming with those injuries at the top. Does that change how you approach your drafts or do you just say, look, hey, look, it's just a thing that happened. Um, you know, I still believe in, in some of these guys who got hurt and I'm going to I'm going to make a, a play for them anyway. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't changed my approach at all because it's unlucky if you drafted Saquon and he tears his ACL. A torn ACL does not make someone injury prone. Uh, and and for Christian McCaffrey, 
it was three different injuries and and someone tweeted me recently was like should that worry you a little bit more than if it was one significant one and i was like i don't think so because like a, a high ankle sprain and a shoulder injury aren't really connected to me i think it's just more a little bit of bad luck for christian mccaffrey last year um but like if you spent an early round pick on Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara, your your tone is going to be a lot different about drafting early <laughs> running backs. And if you went the other way and took Michael Thomas, you're going to feel different about taking a wide receiver early on. So I think at times injury stuff, like football is a violent game and players are going to get hurt. It is just a part of it. So, But for me, it, it hasn't change my approach at all like I still think Saquon Barkley should be a top five pick off the board and I still think Christian McCaffrey should be the number one overall pick I think that's going to be the case and I'm with you um you know I just think at least with those two guys in particular the upside is so great that it's just hard to to pass on them at the top of your draft we know that a healthy Christian McCaffrey is going to be on the field for about 90 92 percent of the snaps um, we know he's probably going to touch the ball 300 plus times and the same thing for Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, Wayne Gallman was a nice story during the year, but when Saquon's there, he is the true workhorse. He's the guy that's going to be on the field that they're going to feed the football to. And I think that kind of volume, um, with the potential production that comes along with it is just too hard to ignore at the top of draft. So, um, you know, I'm sure there are some people out there who felt burned and, you know, who maybe decide they don't want one of those players next year. That's fine. Let them fall in my lap. I will gladly uh, take the quote-unquote risk to have Christian McCaffrey on my roster again this year. Um, As opposed to guys who didn't get injured um, that that maybe just underperformed this year, do you have one or two that you think can bounce back in, in 2021? Yes. Um... I'm pulling up real quick. Bounce. Oh, <laughs> Kenyon Drake, I think for sure, because mm-hmm. I think that last year it, we, we put big expectations on him. And, and I, I want to give credit to Rank because I, Rank said this first, and, and I was like, I completely agree with what he just said there. He, he said that because we had put such high expectations on Kenyon Drake being a top 10 running back, he finished top 20, but to all of us, that was a big disappointment <laughs> that next year people are going to overcorrect it and not want to draft Kenyon Drake because they're going to be like, I remember what he did last year. And because of that, he might fall outside the top 20 running backs. And if that becomes the case and he does even what he did this year, we're going to look back on it and be like, oh, Kenyon Drake was a value. So it's funny how so much of it is just what we put the expectations on and where we draft these players. And and then I thought the other one, I don't know if this guy counts as a bounce back, um, but J.K. Dobbins, Mm. I think a lot of people had high expectations this past year and he didn't quite live up to it, but I think he is a great chance to be this year's version of David Montgomery. I do like Dave. I do like J.K. Dobbins this year. I would say one, uh, the thing you you quoted rank on about Kenyon Drake is also the thing I've sort of been saying about Clyde Edwards, Elaire. For the last uh, month or two, and I, I think that he is going to be better next year. Uh, although I do have a, a question about that that I will I will ask you uh, in just a little bit. But I do think he's going to be better uh, than he was this year. Just I think just having you know more snaps and stuff under his belt. Hopefully, having a training camp uh, will help him a little bit. I'm also going to double down on Miles Sanders. Um, I I had big expectations for Miles Sanders this year. The Eagles offensively were kind of a mess, and they still have some things to figure out. Uh, We talked earlier in the week about the quarterback situation and what's going to happen between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Um, So they still have some stuff to figure out, but I do think – Miles Sanders needs to be a guy for them that touches the ball. You know, he needs to get around 20 touches a game, which is something that he wasn't consistently getting. Um, I, I think Nick Sirianni is going to try to make that happen now that he's the head coach there. I mean, we, we sort of saw, you know, he and Frank Reich and how they made that offense work in Indianapolis. And, and look, part of the reason that you love Jonathan Taylor so much is that at some point they realized we've got a really good running back. We've got to give him the ball. Uh, and I hope that that's what they see in Miles Sanders, and I think he's gonna he's gonna sort of bounce back uh, him next and, year. Him and Hurts in the option would be so much fun. It'd be terrifying if I'm a, if I'm an opposing <laughs> defense, right? Like I got to worry about which one of these guys has the football. Um, both of them can make plays. They can you know they can run effectively. So uh, hopefully that's the thing that that we see. Um, but we did mention Clyde Edwards Elaire. And you know, the, the hype was deafening for him by the time we got to week one. He had that really nice game in the first week, and we're like, all right, you know, let's get on the rocket. We're going to the moon. 
Um, and, you know, we, we just barely left the atmosphere when it was all said and done. Uh, and again, I think, I think some of that was our expectations for him might have been a little bit too high. Uh, because I do believe that the Chiefs intended for him to be in a platoon with Damian Williams, who opted out because of COVID-19. Now, presumably, Williams is back next year. Um, you know, he will have taken a year off to kind of, I guess, rest up, heal his body a little bit. I don't imagine that the Chiefs are just going to immediately kick him to the curb, uh, even as much as they like Edward Delaire. So when we approach drafts next year, assuming Damian Williams is back and, and getting touches, how do we handle this in drafts in 21? I th- well, well, Marcus, as you were breaking down Clyde Edwards Hilaire's season and we wanted to go to the moon, I, I was like, wow, he really was the fantasy version of GameStop stocks. This year. <laughs> like, we came up short and didn't reach the moon. But uh, I think because of that, like in, in early drafts, I'm seeing him go in like the third or fourth round, which is already a multiple round discount from last year. <laughs> Uh, but Damian Williams, like for those who like to do, you know, like like us who like to do really early drafts, he's going in like round 15, 16 wow. right now as like an afterthought. So uh, he is a great value because I think that those two are going to split work. I, I would expect Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to be the lead back. They drafted him in the first round when they expected Damian Williams to be there, and then he took a year off. So I, I think he'll have a role, but I, I think it'll be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire leading this, this backfield. And... Just with this Chiefs offense, I know it didn't work out this year, but when you have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you have to dedicate so much defensive attention to stopping the pass that it's one thing the Bills said they did. They tried to take away the passing game, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rushed for 160 yards against them, (laughs) which is what I expected to happen more often this year with the Chiefs. But I think that the sky is still the limit for him. Everything that we were so excited for him coming into this year, I think still holds true going into his second year, but you may get a draft discount and don't have to pay for his absolute ceiling this year. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see him getting anywhere near the first round this year. I just think people are going to be, you know, they have a bad taste left in their mouth from this past season. Also with the Damian Williams factor sort of added in, he, he's not going to get close to the first round, but man, if, yeah. I know it's not going to last all summer, but the idea of getting Damian Williams in like the the 15th round, um, that's that's amazing. That's tantalizing. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, for for those of you degenerates out there who are doing drafts right now, jump on board. Go get it. Uh, I suspect that when we get closer to August, um, that number is going to, yeah, he's going to move up. And I would say what? 10th, 9th round, maybe, for Damian That's exactly where I was thinking. Yeah. Um, So, you know, if you can get that discount now, go get it, because, you know, it's going to be fun, especially if if it turns out to be anything close to a kind of a a split there, that backfield. Um, That made me think, though, about some either-ors for next year, the two guys that maybe have similar uh, draft value and which ones you would take. Um... So I, this is what I didn't have in here. I, I thought about this as you were talking just now because I, I, I wanted to, to do something with Jonathan Taylor uh, where I, I wasn't completely sure you would just take JT for certain. So this one I just kind of came up with on the fly just for you. Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry? Where would you go? Ooh, so Derrick Henry is one of five running backs that I have ahead of Jonathan Taylor. It, it is CMC, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, Henry, and Saquon. I would take Taylor over any other player in football. Okay. All right. All right. I was, yeah, I was curious. I knew, I know, <laughs> yeah, look, you have not been shy about how much you love him. Uh, I just was curious about where, all right. So that, that gives me a good idea then. Um, all right. So here's the ones I do have on the list though. DeAndre Swift or Cam Akers, which one would you rather have? A week ago, I would have rather had DeAndre Swift, but now with the quarterback swap, and I think this was a great question, Marcus, I, I would rather have Cam Akers right now. Stafford threw to running backs 22% of his plays last year, and that was on par with his career norm, whereas Jared Goff was at 14%, I believe, and never reached 20 in his career. So I think obviously we could expect a little bit more passes to go Cam Akers' way. Stafford being the better downfield thrower, I think, opens up some near the line of scrimmage. And I actually, when that trade happened the other day, I made this a poll on Twitter. 75% picked Cam Akers. I think wow. it is way closer than that. Um, <laughs> I think both of these guys are borderline RB1s, but now I lean Akers over Swift. I would I would go Akers over Swift as well. What, I, what I'm really curious about is, um, I think it's one thing to kind of take the temperature of, of Twitter 
uh, right after the trade, right? Because we all get buzzy about these sorts of things. Um, I would love to see that same poll uh, a few months from now, right? When sort of the high of the deal has worn off and we're thinking about it. I suspect it might get a little bit closer uh, sometime during the summer. I don't know. That's just my, my speculation. If I remember, I want to do that and then post the two and be like, wow, yeah. things have changed. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, if it goes from 75% acres, you know, to like, you know, in, in late July, and it becomes like, you know, 55% acres or something like that. Like, I, I'm just curious to see how people feel about that a little bit later. But I, I think between the quarterback swap and just feeling more confident in their coach and play caller, uh, that for me gives, gives acres the edge. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's all bad for DeAndre Swift there in Detroit. Um, Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt? Uh, who just they split time there in Cleveland, but both of them are productive, which is nice. Yeah, and, and last year I was on the Kareem Hunt side until his ADP kind of like because in like July and and even early August he was like his sixth round pick, then that became fifth, and then like come late August he was going in the fourth round, and that's when I was like, yeah, I'd rather have Nick Chubb then if they're only separated by two rounds. But in a vacuum, I'm gonna go with Nick Chubb, and I even think if Kareem Hunt's like a fifth or a sixth round pick next year, I will still go with Nick Chubb. He showed that he can be a top 10 running back without getting a ton of catches. And the Browns clearly have designed their offense to run through uh, Chubb in the run game. And Hunt will get his share of things. But we've seen it. These two markets are kind of game script dependent where like when the Browns are winning, Nick Chubb can go off. And then when the Browns are trailing, they'll usually bring in Kareem Hunt there to catch the passes. But I I think Chubb is I have him as a top 10 running back this year and and I'm comfortable now. Last year I had some worries, but this year I'm more comfortable taking him as that. I was worried about Nick Chubb. You know, I I didn't think he could finish as a top 10 running back because of Kareem Hunt. And look. In the end, Chubb did not finish as a top 10 running back, but I chalked that more up to the games missed because of injury than because of anything that happened with Kareem Hunt. Uh, and so I, I, having seen it over a year and seeing what those guys can do in Kevin Stefanski's offense, I'm okay with having Chubb again as a top 10 running back. And I think I'm okay with him there because we know he's going to be on the field. He's going to dominate the touches for the most part. Um, what keeps Hunt afloat is being the pass catcher and getting those, those PPR points for the receptions. Uh, but I do love the fact that we can have two guys on the same team, um, you know, in the same backfield and feel confident that both of them will give you decent production week after week, because that's, that's just not a thing we can say universally across the league. So thanks, Kevin Stefanski. We appreciate that. Um, the last one uh, was guys who either, either have a, a good fantasy reputation or finished well uh, that I have questions about. So David Montgomery or Josh Jacobs? These two, I think, belong to, in my mind, belong together. I think in many others, people would be like, oh, Josh Jacobs easily because everyone loves Josh Jacobs, even though he (laughs) hasn't produced a whole lot at the NFL level. Uh, Okay, he's produced, but not as much as we had hoped for fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would go with Josh Jacobs there just because I'm scared for the Bears, man. Who knows what their offense is going (laughs) to look like? They could lose Allen Robinson. Uh, and who knows who the quarterback is going to be. Plus, Tariq Cohen is going to come back, and that is really when David Montgomery started to ascend. Once Cohen was hurt and they started to throw him the ball more, when Cohen comes back, I do expect him to become a big part of that passing game again, and that is going to hurt David Montgomery's value. And then I am starting to get a little bit excited, though, the rumors coming out of Vegas that they're trying to make a big move. They're in on Deshaun Watson this offseason. So I think that could be a big value boost for Josh Jacobs. I just feel like he's a little bit safer and has a little bit more upside than Monty. He does. He definitely has more upside than Monty. And he is, they're both a lead back in their respective offenses, but there is much less competition in Vegas for Josh Jacobs than there is in Chicago for David Montgomery. And, and yes, with the Bears, we're still trying to figure out who the quarterback is going to be. I think we're all sort of agreed that it's not going to be Mitchell Trubisky next year. But, you know, the question is, who is going to be uh, you know, slinging the rock there? And, and that is going to have an impact on that offense. The Tariq Cohen factor, I think, is is important. I mean, this is a guy who a couple years ago had 100 targets in that offense. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the norm, but he is going to take some off of Montgomery's plate. Um, that definitely was a boost for, for Monty in the back half of the season. That combined with a schedule that was very friendly helped. Um, so I, I like Josh Jacobs, but 
I'm with you in that in two years, he's just been underwhelming. I, I think we really hoped for more and expected more, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, some of it, for me, has to do with the fact that the Raiders just refuse to throw him the football. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I hope that changes. Um, but they just don't throw him the ball. If they do, then I can feel a lot more confident about him uh, for, for next year. We'll always so. have week one. Week one. It made us, <laughs> it made us feel like the, the, you know, the tables were turning, but uh, they didn't turn all that much by the time the season was over. I don't know. Um, all right, so um, you might have heard there's a football game on Sunday, uh, the Super Bowl from Tampa, Chiefs and Bucks. The first time ever that uh, a team has hosted a Super Bowl in its own stadium. Uh, you know, I still pour a little bit out for the 49ers playing one at Stanford Stadium, um, which was, the I think, the, one of the closest. I know the Rams uh, played in a Super Bowl in the Rose Bowl uh, at some point, I think in the late 70s. Um, but, you know, the Bucks actually get one in their stadium, so huzzah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's do some DFS for the people who are still playing. Uh, we went the, the showdown captain mode for this one, or you get uh, you, know, you have a captain who gets one and a half times the points, and then you can fill in the rest. You can do kickers, you can do defenses, whatever. Um, where did you go? How did you put together your lineup for this one? My captain, no surprise, is Patrick Mahomes. It, it costs eighteen thousand to get him in, but I think he's well worth it. Uh, he torched the Bucks defense when they played earlier this year, and this is a defense that relies on getting pressure on the quarterback. And Patrick Mahomes, oddly enough thrives when teams get pressure on him and he's one of the best quarterbacks in football against the blitz so i think he is going to have a really big game and he says his toe is close to 100 percent, which if he could start running again good luck bucks uh and then i i around patch mahomes i gave him his top weapons i paid up for travis kelsey at 1100 i paid up for tyreek hill at 10,400 because i think if mahomes has a big day those two guys are going to as well and we've seen it the Bucks secondary has played better this year than in the last two years, but they're still that that is still the way you can attack this defense. Uh, they're much better against the run, but I still did get in Daryl Williams at fifty two hundred because oddly enough, he was used more than Ceh against the Bills. He's been the the lead back for this team really all playoffs ever since Clyde Edwards-Helaire went down with that injury in the regular season. He had the goal line touch for them. He scored a touchdown. He even had a, a target in that game. Uh, while CH only had two. And then, you know, because I, I paid up for all those players, had to go cheap the rest of the way. That's where I get my bucks in. Rob Gronkowski at 3000 I know Gronk isn't the old Gronk, but he has a lot of Super Bowl success with Tom Brady. They, they've connected for a number of touchdowns. And he has been getting a lot of, uh, in the playoffs, a lot of the red zone work. So I'm hoping that he could just catch a touchdown at 3000 And then, your boy, Marcus, surrounded out. Ronald Jones at 22000 He is so cheap. I mean, 2200 yeah. He is so cheap. And he's had two weeks now to get healthy. I, I know he wasn't fully healthy for their playoff run. But he has been utilized in the run game the last two weeks. And I think being their explosive runner, they're going to try to get Ronald Jones involved early on this game. So... You and I have the same at the top. I went Mahomes as the captain. No, no surprise there. I went Kelsey because I wanted to get at least one of his guys uh, in there for him. Uh, I went for Mike Evans on the other side because he has been Tom Brady's kind of number one option in that passing game. So 8,400, I was able to get Evans in there. I went Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And everything you said about Damian Williams or uh, Daryl Williams is absolutely true. Um, but I, I went Clyde Edwards-Alaire because something, you know, look, Andy Reid, when he's had a week off to prepare – uh, he always has some wrinkles, and and it's one thing for, for Daryl Williams to kind of be the lead back and Bruce Arians to kind of study that, and then that's when you come back with CEH and you let him do his thing and have a big game. So I paid up for him at 7000 So then the rest of the way, I had to get uh, you know a little bit creative. So I did go Scotty Miller, who just always seems to show up and have one or two big plays in there. Um, I mean, look, ask the, uh, ask the Packers who somehow let Scotty Miller get downfield right before halftime and catch a big touchdown uh, in the NFC Championship game. So I, I got him in there. And I did finish up with Ronald Jones at 20. I, it's funny. I saw him at 2200, and I, I started, like, Google doing, like, am I missing something? Is, <laughs> is, is he hurt? I, I, you know, I went and dug up the injury reports, and I'm, like, looking for news articles. Like, there's got to be something I'm missing. Like, why is there... Because Leonard Fournette, I think, is like 7,400, 7,800, yeah. something like that. Um, 
I'm like, why is there such a huge gap between Fournette and Jones? Am I missing something? Uh, and when I couldn't find anything, I'm like, all right, here we go. $2,200 for Rojo. Uh, I'm absolutely doing that. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I got. Now, Steve, you 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 said you have a lineup too, right? I'm curious uh, how you went with your, your lineup here. I mean, I put it pretty similar lineup as you folks did. I started with Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. Uh, I don't really believe in the Chiefs' ability to run the ball against Tampa Bay, so I stayed away from their running backs. But uh, I, I did get Mecole Hardman in there, and as just a sure uh, salary play, we got we just kind of forced <laughs> Byron Pringle into the lineup just because he was cheap. Uh, and I, I, I liked um, what what you did with the the Bucks players. I, I thought Gronk was fun; like he was too cheap not to play Rob Gronkowski in the Super Bowl. So I, I got him in there, but I, I don't see any way the Chiefs aren't just running away with this one. So I did heavy Chiefs stack here. All right. So since you said that, I mean, I, I want to finish out the show with our Super Bowl predictions. So Steve, you you have the Chiefs uh, kind of running away with it. You have a score in mind. I did not prep a score, but let's just come up with one off the top of my head. So let's say. Chiefs will get 34. I will give the Bucks 10. Ooh, all right, all right. Uh, Florio, your, your score and winner. I think it is going to be a very close game, actually, the opposite direction of Steve, because Tom Brady, throughout his whole career, like when has he played in a non-close Super Bowl or really even non-close playoff game? And then the Chiefs, besides the Bills game, they've been in a bunch of close ones, haven't really been blowing teams out. So I, I think it's going to be an offensive game. I, I think it's going to be really good. I have it something like Chiefs 28, Bucks 24 in that range. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to make it a sweep here for the Chiefs. Uh, and I'm going to kind of come in between you guys where I don't think – I think it will be close for most of it, and then the Chiefs sort of pull away at the end. So I will say Chiefs win this one 31-21. Uh, but it should be an entertaining game, I think. Well, we just locked the Bucks up. They're, they're a lot. <laughs> I know, exactly. Now, you know, so congratulations, Tom Brady, on your seventh championship because none of us picked you uh, to win this one. Did, uh, did you hear his flex the other day when he was like, oh, I'm by myself for media day, a lot different than my other nine experiences? Uh, <laughs> I did not hear that. I mean, look, he's, he's earned it, but. Uh, <laughs> so. That was my exact reaction. Oh, man. So, all right. Well, hopefully it is a fun day. It's not obviously it's going to be different for everybody. You know, uh, there won't be big Super Bowl parties. We'll all sort of be in our homes watching it. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can all do a Zoom or something like that. And uh, the one thing I would say, though, because there won't be Super Bowl parties, Twitter might be lit for the Super Bowl this year. (laughs) So uh, I always say Twitter is at its best when everybody is kind of watching the same thing. So uh, Twitter very well may be lit for the Super Bowl on Sunday. So uh, looking forward to that again. We are off all next week, so we will see you uh, in a little more than a week. In the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, if four out of five people suffer from diarrhea, does that mean that one person enjoys it? Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.